Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. I'm sure our hearts are aching at this time as we've seen the unfolding tragedy of terrorism and war in the Holy Land. My wife Kay and I have been privileged to lead groups there many times. In fact, we're due there a month from now. We've been so honoured to introduce our guests to wonderful Israelis and Palestinians. Those trips have certainly taught us that the situation there is very complex. Before we move forward with tonight's program, which is about sharing our faith, the power of the gospel, so desperately needed in these dark days, let's pause to pray for all caught up in the conflict there. Let's remember that God loves and cares for each and every human being. Let's pray for peace, for lasting and resilient solutions, for comfort for the grieving, for justice for those who perpetrate evil. Join me in prayer. Lord, we come to you tonight, our hearts aching because of all that we see, all that we hear from the Holy Land. We ask you to show yourself powerfully in this situation. We ask you to intervene for those who would commit evil and atrocity. We ask that they be brought to justice. We pray for leaders on both sides, and we ask for lasting, resilient, peace for a solution to this incredibly difficult and complex situation. We pray for your comfort for those who grieve, for your hope for those who are devastated by all that is going on. We ask you to come into this situation. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. As we consider the effects of sin in our world and realize afresh the urgent need for the message of the gospel to go out, only Jesus can change the hearts of those who would do evil, that brings a challenge to each and every one of us as followers of Jesus. When it comes to speaking about Christ to others, have we lost our desire and ability to share him? In short, have we lost our voices? For me, it all started when some gremlins visited. While I was sleeping, those bacterial invaders quietly removed the inside lining of my throat and replaced it with sandpaper. A tickle became a cough, and the leading invader, a pesky cold virus, reduced me to a wheezing, watery-eyed, sniffling wreck, box of tissues permanently in hand. I've imbibed so many of those lemony hot drinks, I probably smell like a Spanish orchard. Apparently, a warthog sneaks into our bedroom at night. At least, that's what my snoring sounds like according to my wife. And while Kay is not exactly walking around ringing a bell and screaming, unclean, unclean, she is certainly keeping her distance. But one of the worst symptoms of all of this has been the loss of my voice. For someone who preaches a lot, broadcasts here on Premier Christian Radio, and generally likes to natter to people, that is not good. Parked in bed and loaded with legal pharmaceuticals, it occurred to me that I'd been battling a voice loss for a couple of decades or so, and that malady has nothing to do with my vocal cords. When I first heard the good news about Jesus and decided to follow him, I was very loud about God. I mean, 
really loud. With the bellicose hollering of a town crier, I shared the gospel message with anybody who would listen and with quite a few who were desperate not to listen. Like an excitable salesperson paid by commission, I viewed anybody in my nearby proximity as a prospect. The mistaken notion that one has to single-handedly tell everybody that one meets about Jesus and be somewhat responsible for their eternal destiny makes a chap a little jumpy. Many of my attempts to share the good news made it sound less than good. Clumsily, I tried to wrench every conversation around to Jesus. Hello, Jeff. Would you like a cheese sandwich? Some kind soul would inquire. My grinning response was certainly cheesy. No, thank you. I have the bread of life. How about you? Some people started to avoid me, like one infectious. And when my so-called sharing became an endless monologue, I'm sure I heard some snoring here and there. Then came the switch. It was gradual. Someone quoted St. Francis of Assisi with the adage, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Unaware that the great man never said that at all, my voice went quiet. Francis actually said to those he led, all the friars should preach by their deeds. And he also taught, it is no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. And he used a lot of words himself, sometimes visiting five villages in a single day to talk to people about Jesus. As for me, red-faced and head down, I hurried past that ranting street preacher with his loud hailer and repent poster. As he yelled threats at passing shoppers, I decided I wanted to be nothing like him, and my voice went quieter still. Someone else taught that our acts of love and service in the community don't always have to be accompanied by gospel explanations, and that's true enough. But if we are rendered totally speechless about the reason for our caring, surely we become a welcome, respected, but benign bunch of do-gooders. I don't want to return to my nervous agitation about sharing my faith, but surely we all, as the good book says, need to be always prepare to give an answer to everyone who asks to give a reason for the hope that we have, but do this with gentleness and respect. We read that in 1 Peter 3 verse 15. The gospel is news, news we know that desperately needs to be heard, and we, in word and life, are newscasters. In short, I want to get my voice back. Earlier, I mentioned street preachers. I keep bumping into confrontational evangelists. I recently took a tube journey which included a chance encounter with a toothless herald of the gospel. As I lined up to get my ticket, a brother who was seriously challenged in the molar department came down the queue. Who's a believer here? He hissed, quickly adding, there's heaven and there's hell. Choose Jesus today. He clutched a folder which contained gaudy medieval portrayals of both destinations. He opened the folder and flicked quickly through plastic-covered snapshots of sinners being barbecued forever and poked around with pitchforks. What's it to be then, he said, heaven or hell? A nervous lady said that she only wanted to go to Upminster. I fled. And then it happened again recently in a local shopping centre. A small grey man stood ramrod straight with his right arm held aloft. 
his gloved hand defiantly clenched a huge placard. I sneaked to look at his poster. Repent ye, screamed the thick Gothic text. The end is nigh. I cast my eyes downwards again, hoping to hurry past the brave little man, but it was not to be. His was a multimedia presentation, poster and voice. It was a big, fearful boom from one so slight. The Lord is not mocked, he thundered. Hell is a reality. Turn from sin today. My head-down rush-pass strategy failed dismally. He caught my eye, and a laser beam of penetrating interrogation shot into my soul from his direction. You, sir, where will you spend eternity? I wasn't in the mood for a warm, brotherly conversation at 300 decibels, and I didn't have a poster, so I mumbled, heaven, thank you, and fled for cover into a nearby shop. In the bright warmth of that shop, I felt safe again, but somewhat pursued by questions, and not questions about my eternal destination. As I peered out of the window at the grey man who was now barking at another terrified prospect, a blanket of unease shrouded me. He was undeniably brave, standing out in the cold with his dog-eared poster, but was he wise? Was this provocative style of his really bringing any good news to people, or did it just repel passers-by like a swift apocalyptic kick in the teeth? Was this the way Jesus would have proclaimed his message, or did the man look more like one of the angrier Old Testament prophets? I believe that there is a hell to be shunned, and so it could be argued that mugging shoppers with the message is appropriate. But is hell the cornerstone of our message, or is that honour reserved for Jesus himself? As I rambled absent-mindedly around the shop, looking for absolutely nothing at all, I searched deeper into my own concerns and questions about evangelism, sharing our faith. With all of our seeker-friendly, be culturally relevant, bring good news, not bad approaches, we must face the fact that most of us Christians feel intimidated, uncomfortable, and unsure about the best way to effectively share our faith with other people. I've had brief flirtations with just about every evangelistic approach that there is. I went through a phase when I really felt I was doing God and God's world a massive favour as I buttonholed people with my message, eager to capture as many salvation scalps as possible. I tried the utterly unsubtle approach with my then non-Christian father. My warm attempts at sharing the love of God went something like this. Dad, he was quietly reading the newspaper saying nothing as I enter the room. Me. Hello, Dad. As you know from the contents of my daily evangelistic monologue, I am a Christian, as per the copy of Journey Into Life, which I helpfully left under your pillow, just in case you should come to your senses during the night hours. You, sadly, are not currently listed among the elect. You are therefore destined for a long swim in the lake of fire. Have a nice day. Dad quietly continues to read the newspaper. I exit the room. But then we can swing wildly to the other extreme where we live out the good news in our communities, happy that we are being salt and light, but never actually mentioning anything about Jesus in the process. We congratulate ourselves on our cringe-free evangelism. Any outsiders think that we're nice and even rather cool, but never get to meet the Jesus who died and lives to save them. We run the risk of becoming evangelical liberals, do-gooders without a reason or explanation for our goodness. 
My bookshelves are crammed with books telling me the right way to do evangelism. But I just know that if I weren't a Christian, I wouldn't want to be someone's project. I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of a monologue where I was barely given room to respond. I wouldn't want to be told that my views were going to be used in a survey which didn't actually exist the survey being a made-up ruse as an excuse for conversation. And I wouldn't want to be patronised, press-ganged, or threatened, interrogated, or intimidated, or made to feel that I know nothing at all about life. The writer Rebecca Manley Pippet expressed something of the crisis that many of us feel. There was a part of me, she said, that secretly felt that evangelism wasn't something you should do to your dog, let alone a friend. So would Jesus use the placard approach? He was not content with impersonal messages. He didn't just send us an email from heaven announcing his love. Rather, he came among us. He came down into our squalor and sin and he became a man. He refused to keep the power of the Holy Spirit, but dropped gentle prophetic exercises on a woman at the well during a lunch break. So let's ask Jesus to help us to be good news messengers again, in word and deed. Our friends, and perhaps our dogs, will thank us for it. Airline seats are designed for people with only one buttock. I have a full set of two. I squeezed both of them into a seat on a flight bound for Manchester and searched quickly for the missing end of the seatbelt, which had mysteriously disappeared beneath the person sitting next to me, who had apparently been blessed with five buttocks. I buckled up with a comforting click and sighed with relief. I planned to make full use of the short one-hour flight, time to read, nap, think, pray. I took out my Christian book, the airplane took off, and the flight attendants began their eager distribution of salted peanuts. Suddenly, I became aware of the man next to me staring over my shoulder at my book page. I'd become intimately acquainted with him momentarily in my seatbelt search, but hadn't really noticed him. Lobbing a peanut into his mouth, he spoke. What are you reading? My brain leapt into gear, swiftly considering a suitable response. In a millisecond, I contemplated the fact that my response should not be a cringy, in-your-face retort. I've been preaching a lot about the need for Christians to be thoughtful and sensitive witnesses for Christ. As I said earlier, in my early years as a believer, I was so keen to witness that I would jerk every conversation around to the subject of God. And so I considered, how can I answer this man's question concerning my reading material with subtlety? I cleared my throat and responded, it's a book. Yes, he said, I noticed that. What kind of book is it? Panic. How could I now proceed to disclose the subject of my reading? Um, it's a Christian book. When you say the word Christian, very, very quickly, it comes out through pursed lips as Christian. Really? About what exactly? Um, it's about God. Right, then he said, so what do you do for a living? Every muscle in my body immediately locked tight with tension. I, um, I teach, I said, and inwardly congratulated myself on the answer, which sounded so much better than minister, vicar, or church leader. Oh, so you're a teacher then, he replied, instantly vaporizing my sense of self-congratulation and causing fresh sweat to break out on my brow. No, I'm not. I, um, I preach, I teach uh, um, about God. And feeling a glimmer of boldness in my heart, I added, I'm going to a Christian meeting tonight to speak. 
I settled back into my seat and my interrogator went quiet momentarily. And what exactly will you say to the people about God at this meeting tonight, he ventured. And so I told him. He didn't cast aside his peanuts, hurl himself headlong onto the floor and cry out for forgiveness, but he did listen and ask questions. And I had the opportunity to spend some quality time passing on the great news of the love of God. But after I got off the flight, it occurred to me that the poor man had almost had to resort to torture and threat in order to get the gospel out of me. I was so determined to be laid back and inoffensive that I'd lost the eagerness to pass on the news that sometimes delights and sometimes offends. Is it possible that we have lost sight of the issue called eternity and the edge and urgency which that message conveys? In a reaction against pie-in-the-sky theology, with our emphasis on the kingdom being now, have we lost sight of the reality that we have a message that is bigger than life and death? Has the salt lost its savour? Have we lost our voices? This week, let's live and share the news about Jesus. See you next time. Lucas on Life.